BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome back to Simply Serie A, brought to you by the FNX Network. On this week's edition, we'll be talking about the big game between Napoli and Juve, the state of officiating on the peninsula, the Derby della Capitale, Cagliari's win over Inter, and Atalanta's Europa League aspirations. All that and more on this week's edition of Simply Serie A. As always, I'm going to begin by rounding up the results from week 26. Atalanta 3, Fiorentina 1, Cagliari 2, Inter 1, Empoli 3, Parma 3, Genoa 0, Frosinone 0, Lazio 3, Roma 0, Milan 1, Sassuolo 0, Napoli 1, Juventus 2, Spal 1, Sampdoria 2, Torino 3, Chievo 0, Udinese 2, Bologna 1. Now there's plenty to discuss, so let's get straight to it. I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, my two panellists are regular Vittorio Campanile. Welcome back to the show, mate. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good, good. Glad to hear it. And joining us this evening is Mr. Adam Digby, Italian football writer. Adam, it's an absolute pleasure to finally have you on a review show. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Can't complain. Can't complain. (laughs) Right, guys, it makes sense uh, to start with Juventus, seeing as we've got Adam with us uh, this week. Massive game at the San Paolo. It was the game, I guess you could say, that ultimately uh, ended the Scudetto race properly. Uh, Not that I thought there was a race on in the first place, but that kind of all but seals it, doesn't it? 16-point lead now for Juve. Uh, Adam, what did you make of Juve's performance? We'll get on to the controversial moments in the game a little bit later on. Um, I think it was a, a, a very... (laughs) As much as I hate to use the cliche, it was a game of two halves, wasn't it, really? Um, 
in the in the first half before and after the first red card I thought Juve were much improved from what we've seen in the past few weeks um, they've been obviously seriously negative they were terrible against Atletico Madrid they weren't that much better against Bologna when they managed to scrape out a 1-0 win the week before but I thought they were they were really positive and, and really trying to play on the front foot in the first half and in the first few minutes of the second half Uh against Napoli and, and that's really pleasing to see it's a shame it didn't last and then obviously after the Pjanic red card it, it was all Napoli wasn't it and, and Juve were really clinging on at the end Absolutely Vittorio let's start talking about these decisions let's go through them one by one the first one was the uh, incident where Merritt got sent off uh, Alex Merritt the Napoli goalkeeper uh, on the evening he was shown a, a red card when he sort of tangled with Cristiano Ronaldo there wasn't any contact there though was there Vittorio what did you make of that whole incident I, I'm not sure there wasn't any contact my, my opinion is that if Cristiano Ronaldo didn't jump, then obviously he would have hit the leg of the goalkeeper. So, you know, uh, as a lot of Italian newspapers said, that was a clear penalty. So uh, the problem is that a lot of Napoli journalists and Napoli fans focus so much on the penalty, on the red card, forgetting the mistake Malquit made. I mean, if you want to win the Scudetto and you're fighting against Juventus, you have to be perfect. And that was a terrible mistake. Uh, so uh, I think it, it was a red card. I think uh, Ronaldo would have scored without uh, Merit coming out. So uh, I can understand that it's, it's bad that a match so important uh, get influenced by a red card so early after 25 minutes, something like that. But for me, I didn't have any doubt, honestly. Okay. Uh, Adam, where did you stand on that incident? I've watched it back. I, I, I don't know. I might be wrong. But, you know, I thought that if you're going to jump over him the way Ronaldo did, that you probably could jump past him and carry on. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit overly critical of Ronaldo. Maybe it's because I absolutely hate diving. But I didn't feel that Ronaldo had to throw himself down like that. I don't know. Adam... Your take on it? I know you're a Juve fan, but your take on yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think the the first thing I'll say is that the the rules are very very clear in the fact that there doesn't have to be contact, and I think because some decisions the contact the contact is important and it does make the difference. If if you run into the box and a defender hip checks you even just slightly, it throws you off, and that then that's a penalty. And and in that case, you have to slow it down. You have to look at VAR. You have to see if there's contact. And then if there is, then it's a penalty. If there isn't, then it's a dive. But in in instances like this one, there doesn't have to be contact for it to be a foul. The the intent and the dangerous play from Merritt make it a foul, whether he touches Ronaldo or not, because Ronaldo has to leap out of the way. If he stands still, he, he, he's probably going off injured, to be honest. Um, uh, but after that, yes, I agree he probably could have landed on his feet and gone into the box. I guess when you know the rules like Ronaldo clearly does, there's no need to go into the box because if if you go on and you score, the ref plays advantage, he's not going to go back and send the guy off. He'll go back and give him a yellow. Yeah, that's right. So Juve, Juve got the, the benefit of, because it was outside the area, 
and that that's another important point too if that would have been inside the area because it's the goalkeeper he would have got a yellow card not a red card because they changed the rules about sending off the the player in the box and giving away a penalty so if it would have been a penalty it would have only been a yellow um which again is something that people have misinterpreted when they've been complaining on Twitter and on social media. Um, he doesn't need to go down, but you can't really blame him for doing it. And it's a foul whether he does or he doesn't. Um, he, he needed to leap out of the way so he didn't get hurt. Uh, and, and in that instant, then it's a it's a foul and it's a free kick and it's a red card. Um, I, 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 to be honest, it really did change the second half of the second the, the second half of the first half. Um, it, it really put Napoli on the back foot and Juve took advantage of that but I don't think really Juve changed the way that they were playing obviously it made it easier when they playing against 10 men but I don't think the, the numerical advantage was really obvious I, I think the game wasn't too different and too dissimilar than it was before that red card I, I think if you go back and look the, the first 24-25 minutes and the the second 20-22 minutes of the first half are very similar in the way that the two teams played. Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, let's put it out to our listeners as well. Let's hear what our listeners think. Tweet us at Simply Serie uh, your thoughts on that particular decision. But then we've got more to come on to on this game, uh, which is the excellent thing. Uh, Vittorio, the free kick from Pjanic. Um, I mean, Pjanic is so important to that Juve side, in my opinion. And, and Adam touched on the fact that the Pjanic red card really affected them. Uh, how highly do you rate Miralem Pjanic? And, and is he uh, such a vital cog to this Juve side? Well, I think he's a key player for Juventus. And when I saw where the free kick said, was, I said immediately, he's going to score now. And, you know, I'm not a genius. It was knowing Pjanic very well. You knew that that was a perfect spot for him. But when he was playing for Roma, he was incredible with his free kick. Now with Juventus, he's become a, a fundamental playmaker of the team. I don't know if it's Allegri that helped me help him evolve in this uh, position. But I think he's top five in Europe at this moment. And uh, he's such an important player for Juventus that <clears throat> uh, the team is struggling in midfield uh, Emre Can is not always convincing and Allegri doesn't have that many options there so when Pjanic is playing you can feel the difference and uh, yeah I thought he improved so much from when he was with Roma and now with Juventus that it's impressive uh, really I feel that he's top five a playmaker in uh, in Serie A in uh, Europe, sorry, at the moment. So he's really f- important. And obviously, when Juventus lost him for a red card, the match changed because he's vital for this team. And without him, you know, Juventus lost uh, a big player. It's you know, when when uh, when Napoli took off Milik, yes, he's a striker, but he's not involved in uh, in uh, turning the ball around, etc. Like. Pjanic for, for Juventus so I think that was a big difference for, for Juventus Yeah I mean talking about Emre Can, he got the second goal didn't he Adam what have you made of him since he's joined Juventus I've heard mixed reviews uh, and I'm interested to know where a Juve fan stands on, on the whole Emre Can thing has he sort of lived up to the, the bill um, probably not I think he's he's starting to slowly improve obviously he had a problem with a a gland in his neck that needed an operation and he was out for a brief period and he, he struggled before that because of it. 
Um, the, the side effects of the, the, the problem he had really affected his play. Uh, well, his fitness rather than his play. Um, the, the problem the problem is um, that, that was just touched upon, really. Pjanic is the, the one player that you may have got who, who makes a difference in midfield. I like Emre Can. Uh, I like Rodrigo Bentancur. I like uh, Blaise Matuidi. The problem is that playing two of those and Pjanic... It's not good enough. It, it's too. It's too slow. It's too one-dimensional. And Pjanic, as great as he is, it fits into that as well. He's a he's a great passer. He's a great, great playmaker. He's incredible at what kicks, um, and and he's great at corners too. But it, it does make the midfield very slow and very one-paced. You really desperately need that third player um, to to bring some dynamism to the team. And I think if you if you have Bentancur as the sub for Pjanic, if you have Chan or Matuidi playing, and then I don't have any problems with any of them. My, my problem is that the combination of any of those players just doesn't really work, and and for me that's where where you are lacking this season. Absolutely, some really great insight there. And then obviously Napoli pulled the goal back, didn't they? Uh, we've touched on the Pjanic red card already, so I'm not going to go back on that. I don't think there were any complaints really. It was a handball, wasn't it, for the second yellow? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys yeah, have a different view on that. So definitely a red card in my book anyway. Napoli pulled one back. And as you said, Adam, they really turned up the heat, didn't they, late on in the game? And then they were awarded a penalty. Um, Vittorio, what were your thoughts on that penalty award? Because I know it went to VAR and it felt to me like it looked a little bit harsh. I I don't know. I've only seen it once. Um, I must admit, I haven't gone back and watched it again, but I thought it looked a little bit harsh. Well, the thing is, uh, he didn't watch the ball. That was his excuse. But you have to keep your hands close to your body. And otherwise then it's a penalty. This is the rule. Uh, you can accept it or not, but unfortunately that's the rule. And the fact that Alexandro didn't watch the ball, it's not, gonna, it's not an excuse. You can say that jumping is difficult to, <laughs> uh, you know, jump with, the, with your hands close to your body. It's more logical to, to open them. So, but, but that's the rule. If they don't change it, then that's a penalty. <sighs> Would you say, though, that, you know, the ball did graze his chest, didn't it? And, I mean, that that was the thing for me. I felt that's why I kind of felt it was a little bit harsh. But I totally accept what you're saying. Uh, the rules are rules at the end of the day. Um, go on, Adam. No, all I was going to say is the, the rule is that if it comes off the, the body part and then hits your hand, it, it's not a voluntary action, so it yeah. shouldn't be a penalty. But... What I will say is if you look back over the course of this season, any time the ball hits somebody's hand in the penalty area and it goes to VAR, the referee is giving a penalty. So while by the rules, that's not a penalty, and I think that's very, very clear, and I think not that they would agree with me being a Juve fan, but if you ask any Inter fans who were watching their game against Fiorentina the week before, they will tell you very all too well the referee is going to give a penalty for that because the, exactly the same thing happened to D'Ambrosio against Fiorentina. It hit him in the chest, it went onto his arm, went to VAR, penalty. And and that's that's the reality that these players are having to live with. If it hits your hand in any way whatsoever and the decision is referred to VAR and the ref goes to take a second look, he's going to give the penalty if it's touched your hand. We've seen a Vitor Hugo was given a penalty against him for a, a cross that maybe grazed his fingernail 
in the, the first game between Inter and Fiorentina this season. Mm-hmm. We saw the D'Ambrosio one last week. There's four or five other ones that, that, that escaped me off the top of my head, but it, that's that's the way this, the game is going this season in Serie A. And, and by those standards, and yet it's a penalty, and, and yet, yet awful, but it, it all plays back into what I've been saying for three or four years, that the, the referees in Serie A and not, but they're not biased. They're not looking to to fix matches, to to cheat certain teams or favour certain teams. They're just terrible. The the referees are <laughs> utterly terrible. And the the issue that I have with so many Serie A fans is after the Fiorentina penalty last week, you get Inter fans saying, "Oh, it's a it's a conspiracy. It's against Inter." Blah blah blah. Well, now you're telling me there's actually a referee in conspiracy against Juventus? Are you going because it's the same penalty, but? So if we're saying it's the same for both teams, then to me, that's not a conspiracy. That's just atrocious officiating. And, and until people change the way they're looking at it, until they put aside their club biases and say, no, Fiorentina probably shouldn't have had a penalty last week. No, Napoli shouldn't have had a penalty this week. Inter were robbed. Juventus were robbed. Then it's, it, it, nothing will ever change. Because if you go to a referee and say you're biased, He's going to go, no, I'm not. And then the argument is ended. If you go to the referee or to the, the referee's um, union and say, your officials are terrible, then you can actually have a conversation about that, about improving standards. If you start throwing around accusations of bias, nothing is ever going to change because the referees are not biased. They're not taking bribes every week to give penalties away. They're, they're just not. We know that in Syria at the moment. We didn't, we, maybe we didn't know that in the past. But, but now you look at the game and it's, it's not favouring anybody. It's just awful. And, and something has to change with that. And people need to recognise that and admit that to themselves first and then say it out loud because all this talk of bias, favouritism, conspiracies, match-fixing, whatever, it's just nonsensical. But the referees are just flat-out awful. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a widespread problem, isn't it? I think, I know, being, a, being an Arsenal fan as I am, watching the game at the weekend with Spurs, you know, and I agree with you, it wasn't biased. It was the fact that the referee basically messed up for both teams. And it's just, it's a constant problem, isn't it? I mean, Vittorio, have you got anything to add to that on the overall standard of Serie A refereeing? Is it an issue to you as well? Well, uh... I still believe that Italian referee are better than English one, to yeah, be honest. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely agree <laughs> and with and you And I there. think that, that's not even a discussion, to be honest. <laughs> and, and I have to say, and we saw it, ex- especially in Europe League, some referee from some national are awful, are really embarrassing. And they yeah. don't even VAR there. So, you know, they could make some amazing unbelievable mistake so but yet uh, one thing is it's not very easy football is especially at high level is so fast and it's very hard for the referee to be uh, all, all the time very close to the to, to the ball and uh, we forget that some of the referee are, are older and so they don't have the pace the, to be yeah. to the ball uh, so Sometimes they have to go with experience, etc. But I agree, there are some of referee in Italy that are terrible. Uh, but, you know, football is so fast that it's very, very difficult. And still, if you, if you check, you know, there's people talking about the penalty of Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, the red card of Meret. 
and people keep talking about it even after they saw the the thing five times. So if it's not clear for them after five times, it's not easy for a ref to decide in five seconds and without. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yes, I agree that there are some referees that are terrible, and one thing people forget is they are human. During the match, you start discussing. Maybe you have a a little bit, you know, you behave badly to the ref. So you know, sometimes there is even the bad reaction. Some ref take it yeah. personally, and and it's terrible. You see suddenly this ref starting, uh, you know, complaining about teams giving yellow cards for no reason and so on. So again, there could be better ref in Italy, but. <laughs> They're not the worst, worst in the world, to be honest. Yeah. No. With that, I agree. <laughs> the, the other thing I would say is with VAR, I think, I think that the next step with VAR is going to have to be some kind of um, central panel like they have in the NBA with the referrals for players, where it, it can't be a guy in the stadium watching on TV telling the referee to have another look. Because I think what we see so many times now we've had two seasons of this, is so many times you see uh, the referee gives, say the referee doesn't give a penalty, and then the VAR official says, oh, I think you should have another look at that. Maybe you're wrong. As the ref goes over to look, he's already thinking, oh, no, I've made a mistake. That's and the, a great the other point. referee, The other referee clearly thinks he's made a mistake because he's telling him to look at it. So he goes over to look already thinking, I've got this wrong, I have to change it. And nearly every time they go to look at the screen, they change the decision. And that has to be because of the the doubt planted by the guy telling them to go and have another look. And I think until we have some kind of independent panel saying, actually, no, you got that wrong, you need to give a penalty, and taking the referee's decision, the decision out of the referee's hands. Because, because, yes, as you say, they, they are human, they do make mistakes, but if you tell the referee, oh, maybe I think you've made a mistake, and he runs over to the touchline to have a look, and he's got two coaches and all the substitutes and all the crowd screaming in his ear, ah, oh, you've made a mistake, that's why you're looking, that's why you're looking, look, change it, change it. He's going to change it because he is human, because he is going to think, oh, no, I can't believe I've messed up. Everyone's going to see this on TV. And, and, and we see it every time. They change it every time. And it, it, it's a flaw in the system. And the system works. The system has helped so many times to, to clear up when there is a big mistake, where the referee has missed it. But on these marginal calls, too often we're getting a referee who's made a right call, doubting himself because of the guy watching on video. And when you slow things down enough, you can convince yourself of anything. And, and, and for me, that, that's leading to more more issues that don't need to be there. That is a fantastic point. And that is something that I think we saw in the World Cup as well. If you cast your mind back, we saw occasions where referees were doing exactly that. And I think there was one instance, I can't remember in which game it was, where a referee was told to go and look at something. He went and looked at it and he stuck to his guns. And he received a huge amount of praise after that because yeah. he wasn't willing to back down to the pressure of, of being told, you know, you need to go and look at the VAR. I think that's a fantastic point that you raised there and and hopefully you know it's 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 something that can be ironed out in the future now just conscious of time i want to move on um and and this next game that we're going to talk about vittorio would have been licking his lips at the prospect of discussing this one because his beloved lazio uh blew roma away you know roma had a chance to catch up to inter uh but lazio instead of 
put themselves back in the race uh, for a Champions League place after dominating uh, at the Stadio Olimpico. Vittorio, uh, your thoughts on the performance? How did the game go and, and what were your takeaways from it? Well, as you were saying, Lazio dominate Roma. Yes, there has been... Uh, in the beginning of the second half, Roma had a couple of great chances. If they scored there and Pastore missed an unbelievable chance, then the match would have been completely different. But I thought the biggest take of that match is Inzaghi destroyed Di Francesco. Uh, he picked the right 11 while Di Francesco didn't. He made the right substitution while Di Francesco didn't. And you can say that Inzaghi has proved to be a better manager than Di Francesco. And <laughs> is that like Italian referees are better than English referees? <laughs> <laughs> Di Francesco is going, that's kind of a low bar. Well, uh, for me, for me uh, Di Francesco made a terrible mistake that cost the match. When he took off De Rossi, that was the only uh, defender midfielder for Roma, and put in Pastore, it's not a coincidence that five minutes later Lazio scored on a contract mm-hmm. because Roma had nothing. The, the, the two central defenders are very slow. They are Fazio and Juan Jesus. You had only De Rossi helping them and you take it off to put Pastore and immediately afterwards Correa finished the match and get Lazio penalty. And that was an awful mistake uh, that didn't make any sense. You know, De Rossi was the only one playing there in the midfield position and you take him off. So mm-hmm. I thought Di Francesco made terrible mistakes. Same thing, uh, Sheik is not doing nothing this season and you take off a Sharawi. Yes, a Sharawi wasn't doing that much in the derby, but if you remember the last seven matches, a Sharawi had three goals and three assists. So, you know, give him a little bit of faith instead of putting chic that is, you know, a mystery. So, yeah, I think, I, I really think that Inzaghi finally made the right decision while Di Francesco proved to not be a, a very good manager. Yeah, I mean, and speaking as someone who's outside of, of Italy and obviously... I obviously I love Italian football if I didn't I wouldn't be doing this show but for me obviously I'm an Arsenal supporter and that's what kind of what I watch uh, every week I watch Serie A every week but I probably my knowledge is not as strong on sort of Di Francesco and Roma in particular but Adam from your perspective you know is Di Francesco a bad manager because he seems to get a lot of bad press um, I thought that last season they did really well to get to where they got in the Champions League. But the wheels have seemed to have come off a little bit this season, haven't they? Yeah, and it's unfortunate. But to be honest, I, I don't really think it's Di Francesco that's to blame. I think you have to look at the way that the squad is constructed. And and I think you, you can point to taking off El Sharori or taking off De Rossi. And, and the fact that Roma still relies so heavily on Daniele De Rossi in 2019 is is scandalous really but you, you could almost argue that, that Roma lost the derby when they put Robin Olsen's name on the team sheet because <laughs> he is just awful and and when you consider that he's replaced Alisson as well it, that that is just the the drop off in, in talent that, that Roma have got they've got Sheik instead of Mohamed Salah and the, the, the vacuum of talent there since they've sold so many players Paredes the list goes on and on and on, and 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 Monchi, Monchi for me has been found lacking in Rome. He, he's he's made some terrible mistakes. So many of his signings have not paid off, and and you look at Roma and the 
the only players who really stand out as being anywhere near the required standard at the moment is is Daniele De Rossi, who in his mid-30s really should be not be being the best midfielder in your team anymore. He should be a, a complementary player, but he's the the most vital player in the squad. And and Nicolo Zaniolo, who who was a throw-in in the Nangolan Dion, yeah, Monchi did well to identify him and he was stubborn about making sure he got him in the deal. But if you're not selling Nangolan, you're not getting Zaniolo. And yeah, he's probably been better than Rajan Nangolan this season, but he's he's a, a makeweight in a transfer for another player where if, if Inter say, no, no, we'll just give you another 20 million, you don't sign him. It's not like they went out and spent money to get him. Um, and and that that is a really strong black mark against Monchi for me that the squad he's assembled for Di Francesco is is shocking it, none of his players are working and 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 then Di Francesco could be doing better he's making mistakes but the the pressure that that comes with being a manager of Roma is is staggering already and when you you had a good squad or a, a very good squad even that was looking to challenge second place who's definitely the third best squad in Serie A and now they're not going to get anywhere near the Champions League places, are they? they? They're way off the pace of the two Milan clubs and and Lazio, to, and then probably going to be overtaken by Atalanta and maybe even Sampdoria as well. And it really does not bode well. And if Di Francesco doesn't steer them past Porto, he's probably going to lose his job this week. Wow. Uh, can I jump in a second? I, I agree with what Adam's saying. The, the transfer market of Roma has been embarrassing. Uh, you don't take Alison, sell Alison and buy Olsen. But it's even true that if you buy Pastore, if you buy Cristante, they are trequartistia. So they don't fit in a 4-3-3 scheme. So Di Francesco, you have to work around. I don't know why you said you agree with buying these players because you know that Pastore cannot fit in a 4-3-3. Same thing for Cristante. But, but even, even, more, even more than that, Cristante... Uh, Zaniolo and Pastore all play the same position. So yeah, they cannot <laughs> play no together. There's no formation in the world where you could play all three of them. That yeah, but I, I think they didn't expect Zaniolo to explode. You know, they said, okay, Zaniolo is good. In two years' time, we're going to have a very good player. They were forced to, to play him now. But you can find, you know, a 4 2 three, one solution, something like that, with Zeko Striker. But... Uh, if, if you agree with these players, then you have to check. You cannot play with a 4-3-3. Pastore is terrible at, as a midfielder. And the same thing with the other player. Cristante is embarrassing. You paid him 25 million euros to be a central midfielder. He's not. You're, you're wasting money. And don't think that Roma didn't spend money. Chic, 40 million euros two years ago. Terrible. This year, you, you bought Cristante for 25. Pastore for 20. Uh, Olsen for how much was it? Seven eleven? You know the Schick one as well is a real standout because obviously we know looking back he agreed to sign for Juve for thirty two million and then failed a medical with a heart problem and and Juve walked away terminated the deal and everything and then Roma jump in later the same summer and pay eight million more to sign a player who they know has health problems like how does that make any sense? Surely you pay less. Strange, isn't it? I mean, you know, I know I keep referring back to the Premier League, but Monchi is someone who's linked with a move to the Premier League, isn't he? Yeah, there's lots of talk of him coming to my club uh, to take up the reins mm-hmm. there. And it's interesting to hear from you guys that, 
You know, he hasn't always got things right because people here seem to have this uh, this idea about Monchi that he's going to come here, he's going to pluck superstars out of thin air, he's going to build you a team to be reckoned with, and, and it's easy job done. But there is, it seems like, well, obviously there's a reason that Monchi is on his way out of Roma, and it kind of makes sense now from all the things that you guys are telling me. Yeah, I think I think the, the, the one of the big problems with Monchi is obviously he'd only ever worked at one club and in one league, and he was there a long time. And you you can look and you can point to oh he saw Danny Alves for lots of money, saw this player, that player, but he was there for years and years and years. So I don't know. I don't watch Spanish football all the time, but there must have been for every Danny Alves, there must have been plenty of Robin Olsons. Um, and, and let's not forget he sold the Chile Mobile to, to Lazio for eight and a half million euros you know <laughs> yeah. so you know people Lazio fans still are thankful for Monkey for that you know how can you sell it for that amount of money and now he's the capogannoniere of Serie A so um, yeah as you were saying he's been good at Sevilla but he also made mistakes and uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> every Roma fan is hating him at the moment. And it's not Roma that is sacking him. It seems that it looks like he should have, I, I'm not sure, a deal already with the Arsenal. And now he's trying to find a deal to leave Roma. Yeah. It, I mean, it, but having, having said all of that, sorry, it, it might work out well for him somewhere else. It just hasn't worked at Roma. And we've seen plenty of places, haven't we? Pep Guardiola wasn't a raging success at Bayern Munich. He was incredible at Barcelona and he's great at Manchester City but it didn't really work out for him in Germany so maybe in a different league in a different club everything goes back to how it was before for him but for the, for now in this current role in this current league he's he's been found lacking yeah absolutely interesting to see how that story develops now the next team I want to talk about is Inter um, they suffered a defeat. Milan leapfrogged them with their victory over Sassuolo. And, uh, you know, a disappointing defeat in Cagliari. Uh, Vittorio, Inter, still got problems, haven't they? Spalletti, not sure if he'll last beyond the, the rest of this season. What are your thoughts? And uh, did you expect them to slip up this weekend? They have to solve the problem with Icardi. And it doesn't look it's going to be... Uh, very soon uh, again Vanda the, the wife agent has spoken to Mediaset yesterday in the in a Monday when was it and uh, you know uh, Marotta said that they would have a, a meeting to discuss a new contract this never happened Icardi now saying that his knee is hurting so bad he might end the season now uh, so that that's a big problem uh, they don't have a real replacement for Mauricardi. Uh, Lautaro Martinez is an interesting player, but it's not a striker of the same level of Mauricardi. And if Inter is forced to put Ranocchia, a central defender, <laughs> play striker <laughs> against Cagliari, and this is, you can say, people can say, yeah, but other teams did it. Yes, but not every single weekend. You know, this is not the first time they had to play Ranocchia striker because they don't have anyone else. It's the third week in a row that they're doing it. This tells you that it, there's a lack of striker. And this idea of, you know, do, fighting now Icardi, they should have waited May probably. And, and you know, when they're already in the Champions League, League uh, spot, they can start saying, OK, Icardi, uh, you're not the captain and more and see what happened. Now it's far too early. The season is very long and Inter are already fourth. 
they, they risk to get out of the Champions League spot if they continue like that. And uh, after hearing Van Danara yesterday, uh, I, I'm not sure that they will find a solution. Uh, and this, there, there, there have been even rumors now because she started following Real Madrid on Instagram. So, you know, newspaper in Italy say, yeah, she's following Real Madrid. He's going to turn to Real Madrid. Inter love to auto-destroy and that's what they're doing this season. They had the striker and now they, they don't have it anymore. And it's going to be difficult without anybody who scores. Yeah, I mean, Adam, do you agree with that? Do you think that this whole Icardi thing should have been dealt with at the end of the season? I, I certainly agree with that because it's just been an unwelcome distraction. I mean, this has been the fifth game, I think, that he's missed since this whole thing of being stripped of the captaincy. That can't be helpful, can it? It can't, but... What I, what I would say is, knowing Beppe Marotta from his time at Juve, he's not done this for no reason. He, he's not a stupid man. He's a, a, a very, very astute uh, director. He's very good at massaging problems and making sure they don't blow up. And clearly, this has. Now, yes, it's a massive distraction. Yes, it's terrible, but... We can we can sit and we can talk round and round in circles about who Wondanara is following on Instagram and and whether Mauro Icardi liked uh, Jao Cancelo's post after Juve beat uh, Napoli and and we can go on and on and on and on. But to me, the biggest problem at Inter is still even with that said, it's not Icardi, it's Spalletti, because the man is a disaster. Like. He he he's got two youth team players on his on the bench, two strikers who've scored a lot of goals in the into youth team. But instead of putting them on, maybe one maybe one of them is Zaniolo, you know, the guy that you had already and you gave away to get Nangolan. Try one of them. Inter's youth te- youth system is fantastic. The the amount of players who've come through Inter's youth team, been abandoned by the club and gone on to success elsewhere including Leonardo Bonucci, may I add, is, is staggering. Uh, and the team that Inter would have just of their own youth products would be incredible. But, but you look at what is going on with that team and, and Spalletti's answer to being 1-0 down to Cagliari is to bring on uh, Borca Valero in midfield, is to bring on Antonio Candreva, who has less accurate crosses in Serie A this season than me, um, <laughs> and, and then put on... Andrea Ranocchia as a striker because he's six foot five. Throwing on a, a six foot five inch central defender as a striker when you're chasing a, a game is something that a, a League Two manager in England might do in the fourth tier or even lower. It's 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 pub football. It's not Serie A. It's not a, a Champions League team. The the man is is ridiculous. And and to to. To further underline how ridiculous he is, he's got Matteo Politano there, who is a fantastic dead ball specialist, and he sends Candreva on and lets Candreva take free kicks. And with the score at 2-1, he, he pumps a free kick in the last minute into the second tier of the stand. Like, he, we know Candreva can't cross. He, he averages more inaccurate crosses than anybody else in Europe's top five leagues. The man is terrible. And and you let him take free kicks. Like it's for me, the whole Wandanara, Mauro Icardi, what is going on saga is completely overshadowing the fact that over the past few weeks, Luciano Spalletti is making terrible decision after terrible decision. And everybody's like, 
oh, well, did you see what Antonio Cassano called Juan Donaro on Tiki Taka on Sunday? Who cares? The man is supposed to be a coach. Coach the team. And and he's not. He's he's actively making the problems worse and then complaining about VAR, about referees, about the opposition. He needs to look to himself and, and start making some smart decisions because you look at the inter-squad and seriously, that is the second best squad in Serie A after Juve. Like, no other team in Serie A has the level of talent that they have got. Even if you take out the injured players, their starting eleven is is good enough, even without Icardi, to to be much much better than they are, and certainly to be beating Cagliari. Uh, but but because of the decisions he is making, not because Icardi is not there, which yeah, it robs you of your best striker, it robs you of a, a definite goal threat. But are you telling me that between uh, Politano, Nangolan? Perisic and, and all the other players that they have got, you can't muster a, a lead against Cagliari and, and manage to, to get a positive result. You're going you're gonna to throw it away. They only just got a draw with Rapid Vienna in the Europa League. They've won one game without Icardi and that was against Parma because Laturo Martinez scored very late on in a nil-nil draw. But what is he doing? Seriously, the, the guy just baffles me every week. You watch him and He's, he's so negative on the touchline. He's he's making bad decisions. And then uh, it's absolutely fine because nobody's going to call him out on it because, oh, Wondonara follows Real Madrid on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, Vittorio, when you look at the league table, um, I've got it in front of me right now, and, and we've just spent time talking about how poor Roma have been. But Roma are only three points behind Inter. Lazio, if they win their game in hand, they'll be three points behind Inter. There's a real danger, isn't there, of Inter, if they don't sort this out sooner rather than later, they could find themselves in the Europa League positions. Yes, and uh, Inter has this love to all to destroy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this Icardi decision is the perfect example. And then Spalletti goes and blames journalists saying that they put pressure on Inter. No, it's not. You put it on, on your own, you know. So... We are just beginning of March. There are a lot of matches to go on. And so, yes, Inter can easily uh, end the season in the seventh, seventh spot. You know, it all depends on how they recover now. Uh, and again, there is Rapid Gen coming now. So, you know, if they get out even of the Europe League, they're already out of Coppa Italia. Then Spalletti will be in a much dangerous position. We know that Marotta doesn't love Spalletti. There already have been some discussion. Uh, they're talking about Conte, etc., so, uh, yeah, they, they had, for me, one month ago, Inter had easily the third spot uh, under control and they threw it away. Now, Milan is playing much better. They did uh, a terrific winter transfer market. And I don't think Inter is going to be able to, to recover Milan. Now they have to watch behind them. They're lucky that Roma is trying to auto-destroy themselves as well. And Lazio, I don't, I'm not sure they have... Uh, the power, the, the players to, to recover Inter. Atalanta is, is playing amazing football, but again, uh, Gasperin doesn't have very talented players available. So maybe they're going to be able to, to save themselves. I'm not sure, but yeah, they put themselves in this terrible position and I still don't understand why they did it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Atalanta there. Let's, let's look at Atalanta's game with Fiorentina, the two sides that are in the hunt for European football next season, uh, both doing particularly well. Luis Muriel opened the scoring, but Atalanta fought back. Um, and, and these guys have played some 
really entertaining games amongst themselves of late, haven't they? Uh, Adam, starting with yourself first, how impressed have you been with Atalanta this season? Because we haven't heard from you yet this season regarding them. Uh, what are your thoughts? Can they stage a, a late surge uh, for one of those European positions? I think they can certainly get a Europa League spot. Yeah, I think, uh, as was just said before, I think the, the Champions League places are probably a little bit beyond them, I think. I think it looks it's looking increasingly like a, a battle between Lazio's lack of overall talent and their massive injury list against Inter's ability to self-destruct and, and whichever one has the least least effect, then the other team's probably going to get into the, the Champions League. Um, Atalanta are fantastic to watch out there. They, they're so positive. They, they just go as at full power for 90 minutes as often as possible. They, they make some mistakes. You can catch them out at the back. Um, a few key injuries in key areas would really derail them. Um, they, they were powered up the table a little bit by Zapata's hefty scoring streak. But, but now Papu Gomez and Ilicic are, are in incredible form and, and you just look at that front three and they complement each other so well. They, they swap positions, they move around, they, they play with such pace, they, they try and win the ball back high up the pitch and, and they're lethal when they get in the box, the three of them. It's, it's superb to watch, it really is. Um, and the, yeah, the, the games between them and, and Fiorentina with, with one more still to come in the second leg of the Coppa Italia semi-final have been fantastic. What did we get this week? Uh, 10 goals in, in two matches. Yeah. Um, a 3-3 and a 3-1 it, it, it's superb um, and they, they really are just fantastic to watch but then you look at the team behind Ilicic Zapata and Papu Gomez and there's not really a lot there is there it's a little bit of, of smoke and mirrors and a, and a lot of huffing and puffing and running around it's, it's incredible what they're managing to do on such a a, a, a lack of talent I said before about Roma selling players Atalanta have probably sold more high level talent than anybody else over the last two years and and somehow Gasparini's managing to hold it together with a bit of brown paper and some sticky back plastic <laughs> and he's, he's managing to put out a team that functions really well every week just through through being the exact opposite of Luciano Spalletti and actually being a good coach Yeah I mean Ilicic in particular is a player that's really impressed me this season uh, Vittorio looking at Fiorentina um what are their chances of, of surging into one of those Europa League spots? Um, Luis Muriel's been a good addition, hasn't he? Yes. Uh, let's not forget Torino because Mazzarri is a, is a very good manager, you know, great defence, and it's tough to, to beat them with, a, with that great defence. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I think, I think the, the chance of Fiorentina are all related to the Coppa Italia because... I think they're a little bit far away for the Europe League spot. Probably yeah. next next Sunday is going to be the key. If they lose against Lazio, if they don't beat Lazio, I think they're they're going to be far away, and so they're going to focus on the on the Coppa Italia because it's their biggest chance. Fiorentina is a very interesting team. They have a lot of youngsters, very interesting like Chiesa, Simeone, but as normally Pioli's team do. They are going up and down continuously. They are not able to, to you know, uh, win three matches in a row and things like that. Unfortunately, with with Pioli, this is the type of team you're getting. They are very young, so uh, that doesn't help. They are very talented, but still, these young players like even Simeone played very well a couple of weeks ago, then badly again. So uh, it's very nice to see, and I, I'm looking forward to the next. Coppa Italia semi-final Atalanta-Fiorentina because it's going to be amazing 
but yeah, don't think Fiorentina has the power to to reach a Europe League spot if not reaching the final in the Coppa Italia. But even there, they have to hope that uh, the, the the team they're going to fight against is going to reach the Champions League spot, so they're going to get the, the the Europe League one. Yeah, absolutely. And and looking at Milan, just finally the team who leapfrogged Inter uh, into the top three. Now we were talking last week when we Vittorio and the week before about Gattuso um, they did the bare minimum this week didn't they they scraped past Sassuolo but uh, Adam it doesn't really matter does it it's kind of by any means necessary as long as they get the points on the board have you been impressed with Gattuso as he instilled the right mentality there finally oh, I see yeah a team, a team plays terribly but wins anyway so let's ask the Juve fan what happened um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no I think to be honest, Gattuso did the right thing after the match. He said, it's not good enough. We can't keep winning this way. But I think he has to take huge, huge uh, positives from that game. Because from, from the start of January, when they added uh, Piontek and Paqueta, that those two players really carried the team. They, they played great. They were they were made everybody around them better. The, the players were looking to get the ball into the box because Piontek was so dangerous. Paqueta brought some new life into a midfield that had been kind of flat and a, a little bit one-dimensional before his arrival. And that's great. That those two players, signing those players like that and raising the level of talent that you have is, is always an important thing. But what's also important is when those two guys aren't firing, that you have the structure and the, the determination and the the doggedness to, to just fight and grind out our win and, and they did that and, and that's massive if you can win when you play badly not every week as a, a, as a Juve fan who's suffering through the last few weeks as much as you can suffer when you have a 16 point lead <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it really is essential if, to your long term aims if you want to get into the top four you have to win games like that when nothing's going well apart from Donnarumma had a fantastic game in goal but nothing else is working for you yet you still take home three points that's superb it, it really really is and you can't underline the importance of that if, if you ask an Inter fan right now what would you give for a, a scrappy 1-0 win where everybody plays terrible but you get three points they'd snap your hand off they really really would and rightly so um, it, it, it's just what you need to, to keep the momentum going and that it feeds back into what you were saying before about Fiorentina. They are up and down. They they do have inconsistencies because they're a young team, because the squad's not great, because they were so poor last season. They have a lot of holes in midfield. They struggle when any of their first-choice defenders are injured. Um, they only have one winger in Chiesa when they need two to make the 4-3-3 work. But if everybody plays well, they can get good results. When somebody of their big players has a bad game, they, they don't get those results. And and that's what happens when you're not very good, when you're a, a mid-table team punching above your weight. But for Milan, if you can grind out those wins, that makes all the difference between being fifth or sixth and getting that all-important fourth place. And if, if Milan get Champions League football, which will be guaranteed to be in the group stage if they finish in the top four, that's huge for them. It really, really is. You cannot... Um, you cannot emphasize enough the importance of that, what that would mean to, to revitalize Milan, for them to be a Champions League club again. And it doesn't matter who you support. Like, as an Arsenal fan yourself, Harry, if you draw, if you get in the Champions League and you draw AC Milan, 
it doesn't really matter what name is on the back of the shirt. When you see AC Milan, the red and black stripes, you've got to go to San Siro. That's a tough task. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who you are. That's always going to be a big game and it really will be great for Italian football if Milan can get in the Champions League again. Yeah, absolutely. And I could tell you that from last season when Arsenal drew them in the Europa League. It was kind of like, I know this is not the greatest Milan side, but you still got to go to the San Siro. You still got to play this legendary football club. And I completely get what you mean. Milan carries, or the name Milan carries a certain weight with it, doesn't it? Uh, Vittorio, anything to add on Milan um, and sort of the way they're scraping through at the minute? Well, as I said last time, with Gattuso, you won't see amazing football. And this, for me, long-term can be a problem because I think Milan has quality players, but Gattuso is not able to make them perform as well as they should. Uh, Gattuso makes Milan fight when things are going bad, etc. But when you're going to have to play against big teams, then you need to play nice football, good football. And... I think that's the problem with AC Milan this season. We saw them losing a derby. So now they're going to have important matches coming and uh, they have to step up. They have to play much better. Uh, since now, Piontek has been amazing and keep Milan alive. So now, now Gattuso have to do something more. Um, I'm not sure he's the right manager for a, a very good team like Milan should be. But uh, he has the rest of the season to prove me wrong. Absolutely, he does indeed. Um, yeah, I, th- I think just 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 to just to follow up on that, I totally agree. I think Gattuso is a limited manager. You know, he's he's great at getting them together. He's great at getting them to fight, and and he's probably the right guy to to bully them into the top four. I think once they're there, if they start having ambitions beyond just being a top four team, which uh, the racing Milan surely they will have, then then long term he's probably not the right guy. But if he's good enough to get them in the Champions League, even playing ugly football, I don't think it really matters. I think getting in the Champions League is so important that you do it by any means necessary. And if, if Gattuso does that, he'll he'll be even more of a hero to Milan fans than he already was, which is saying something given what he meant to them as a player. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, guys, that brings us to the end of this week's show. It's been a fantastic show, some great talking points, some great debate. Massive thank you to both of you. Vittorio, uh, do you want to let our listeners know how they can follow you on social media and how they can find your podcast? Well, if you really have nothing else to do, then uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lazio underscore Lounge, the English podcast of Lazio, and uh, Vittorio Campa on Twitter lovely brilliant Adam thank you so much for joining us as well and do you want to let our listeners know how they can follow you and all the fantastic work that you do yeah it's either Adam Digby on Facebook or at ADZ77 on Twitter lovely brilliant stuff guys like I said that brings us to the end of this show it's been a great one hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Simply Seria and uh, of course hit that subscribe button we'll be back with another show next week until then ciao
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.